You're going to open your Bibles, but let me just frame out the next few weeks because we're getting close to the Christmas season. Next week, we're going to do a Thanksgiving message, right? That leads into Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving on Thursday. The following Sunday, we go into Advent. From the Latin word Adventus, coming, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes. We focus on the first. We look back to the first coming. We look forward to the second coming when he returns. We'll do four weeks of that. We'll do a year-end special message, and then we'll come back to Luke. You might remember last week. If you missed last week, you don't want to miss the message. Last week in the traditional service, Dr. Ron preached on Genesis. And we've had that now two times, two in a row from him. Genesis 15, two months ago, and Genesis 22. Abraham and Isaac last week. So that's all online. It's videoed. It's all online. It's ready for you to listen to. So that, you, you can look at that. And Dr. Ron is here today. You'll see him in the fellowship hall when we're done with this service. But we'll add enough. People have asked, when's the next one? It's not going to be until after the new year. Because we're using choir for Christmas Eve, of course. You can count on that. And we're using choir somewhat in the Christmas special. So for those two things, we took a break from the traditional in December, but then we'll launch back in January. And then all throughout the year, we'll do traditional at least once a month, maybe more. And Dr. Ron, Lord willing, will be back to preach again in January. So last message today in Luke for a few weeks. The only challenge with this, this message here, this little narrative is tied into the parable that follows. So we'll kind of backtrack a little bit after the new year and kind of connect the two dots because this narrative really points to the, to the parable. What happens at the end of this narrative is Jesus gives a parable to illustrate the true condition of the religious leaders that are confronting him. But we'll get back to that after the new year, okay? You ready? Luke 21 to 8. Here now, the word of God. One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel... The chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant, infallible word. Let's pray together. Father, no one is here by accident this morning, everyone by divine design which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, whether here in this sanctuary or by way of the Internet as we live stream this message. And certainly for weeks and weeks ahead that those will actually listen to it. All of those sermons online, that you would use them as instruments of salvation and sanctification in your mighty right hand. Make it a word of comfort for those in storm winds and rest for the tired, the weary, and the heavy laden. All things... To all people, Father, we'd ask that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. 
All right, a couple things to just be aware of before we hit these three points. Why are they so frustrated at, at Jesus and angry? There's a lot of reasons, and you understand the deeper ones. But let's just look at the surface, because they live at the surface. They live at the surface of the scriptures and the surface of, of their lives in society. And let's listen to these few things. They're religious gatekeepers, but they're frustrated, and, 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 and they're, they have no interest in this man who came from Nazareth. He didn't come from Jerusalem. He came from a poor family, not a wealthy one. And remember, in order to be a rabbi, you have to be trained. Remember Paul, trained by Gamaliel, one of the great rabbinic teachers of that day, thus saith Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian. Jesus has no teaching, no training, nothing. And you'll see it in this passage how Luke frames it out, and this is why they're, they're who are you? By what authority? So almighty, here's the mess, here's the time. Almighty authority is being assault, assaulted. But I'm going to submit this to you. This is a narrative that's 2,000 years old. We're going to make it current. We're going to bring a 2,000-year-old narrative and make it current today. Because there's three things you're supposed to hear in every sermon. You heard it last week in Dr. Ron's message. You hear it each week in mine. Tell them what the text says. Tell them what the text means. And tell them what the text requires. What does the text require of you? It always requires a response. You can't walk out and say, oh, it was a great message. Or, hey, I didn't care much for that. You could say either. But you can't do that. You have to respond because the word is living and active. So what is our response to this? I'm submitting to you today that the almighty authority that was assaulted back then is still under assault today. Nothing's changed. And I'm going to show you how we can go all the way back into the garden and see where it started. We could go further back into the heavens, but we won't do that today. We don't have time for that. But almighty authority assaulted, okay? Three headings. Number one, what was their question? Listen, there's a lot to understand in a question that somebody asks you. What was their question? Number two, what was his counter question? Remember, let me make a very quick point. Jesus is asked, it depends on how you count and, and come to the scripture. He's asked over 300 questions in the New Testament. He answers only three. Did you know? Three. That's instructive. That helps you when you're engaging with an unbelieving, skeptical population when they're asking questions. How to be able to reframe the conversation to really get to what's being asked. Because most of the time when somebody says, well, how could a God? I can't believe in a God. How could... That really has nothing to do with what, what re, is the real issue. And for those who are really... And, and m- most people, most people are not like the bloggers and the chat rumors. They're really sincere. Their hearts are really broken. They have been wounded. Something has happened in their lives. And they're struggling. And they have legitimate questions that need to be asked. Objections necessarily don't need to be overcome. Questions need to be answered. And they have a right to ask questions. And we have a responsibility to be able to answer them. Okay? So we're going to see how Jesus constantly does it. He counter questions. And then finally, number three, the curtain comes down on apostate Judaism and the religious leaders, his curtain of condemnation. Okay? You ready? We're going to head out into some deep water. Let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what was their question? That they asked Jesus. Back to verse 2. We'll look at the first one before 2. Just to get a context of why they are excluding Jesus. Luke, the good doctor, writes in great detail. As you would expect a doctor to write. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the few times you see this grouping together. All three groups. While teaching in the temple courts. And preaching the gospel, this is what Jesus was doing. The chief priests, 
the teachers of the law, and the elders. This is the unholy triad. Okay? But it's, it, it, it's the group of them. And what, what Luke is saying in this context of, of this grouping, Jesus doesn't belong. He's, he's, he's not a chief priest. He's not a teacher of the law by their standards. And he's not an elder. He's not on the Sanhedrin. He's not one of the 70. So who, who are you? That, that gets you in the minds of the religious leaders. And then here's their question. Tell us, by what authority you are doing these things? Now, we have to stop. Remember, right? It's been a week. And sometimes if we have another message in between, then it, it could be more than a week. But last week, what did, what did we, what did, we had a break with, with the traditional and Genesis, the week before, we looked at what? Jesus comes into town, into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and he cleanses the temple. This is what these things are pointing to. It's not pointing to his, his miracles. It's not pointing to his messages and, and Sermon on the Mount, feeding of the 5,000. Specifically, they're talking about these things, where you came in and disrupted. And remember how we preached that? What was Jesus doing when he cleansed the temple? It was a foreshadow of what? The temple was going away. The sacrificial system was to be abolished. Why? The true temple, the true high priest, and the true sacrifice was here. So for that moment in time, on that Passion Week, he shut the temple down all by himself. Why? He overturned the money changer tables. You didn't have the money to exchange for the sacrifice. You couldn't buy the sacrifice. So he foreshadows what is about to happen on Good Friday. When the true sacrifice, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God is going to come and take away the sins of the world, he get only for a moment, because they gathered back together and got the coin, and they continued with the sacrifice, and they continued after Good Friday, right? In AD 70, then the whole place was shut down, as, as had been prophesied. The temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was overrun, and that was the end of that. And never again has there been another sacrifice. They don't have any, they have no temple. The true temple was sacrificed that day. And that true temple actually did what he said he would do. He was raised again on the third day. Okay? So we see how all of this comes together. Now, what are we going to look at? Who gave you this authority? We're going to look at authority. We're going to look at how authority is assaulted later in the sermon, but right now. How do we understand the authority of Jesus? What did they know about it? What do we know about it through Scripture? Let's take a look at a few Scripture passages. It is not an exhaustive list. It's just a sampling of some of the passages that will help us get into the Mindset of understanding his authority. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Do you know what's going on there? If, if he's saying to his audience, you've heard it said, what is he saying? You, you've heard it said in the scriptures. You've read the scriptures. What, what scriptures did they have? They had the Hebrew Bible. So he says, you've heard it said, but I say, oh no. Now what has he done? He's really gone to meddling. You've heard it say, and that was God speaking which was me, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was. But now you hear me say, you want to know something you never did? Never quotes a rabbi. Never quotes a chief priest. Never quotes a teacher. Never. I, I quote all the time. Do you know why? It's a very important reason why. So just in case I've messed it up, I can point back to the person I've quoted and not me, and you don't have to be fussing at me. I quoted them. That's their mess. I, 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 it's not mine. He didn't quote anyone. 
Now, often he brings the scriptures in, right? But what, do you see the authority in that? That one, we could, we could end on that. You heard it said, but I say. A rabbi never said that. And they're constantly quoting each other. So there, there's the beginning of understanding this authority. Matthew 7, 29, we're going to build on it. He taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. This really frustrated the, the, the religious gatekeepers. The people, the masses of people, even religious leaders knew there's something different about him that, that, that separates him from us. He's nothing like us. We don't teach with this kind of authority. We've never seen this kind of authority. We've never heard of this kind of authority. He, he, we've read about it in the Old Testament scriptures, but this, is, this trumps all of that. This is, this is unheard of. And the people knew it, and they knew it. Matthew 9, 6. Remember this story? Remember the paralyzed man? The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay, let's just be real brief and, 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 and try to get an understanding of this. But let's, let's keep it where the Pharisees are. They're on the surface. So let's stay on the surface first, and then we'll go deeper. We'll be real simple. You've got a paralyzed man who can't walk. His opening statement is what? Your sins are forgiven. Forget the fact that the paralyzed man is going, what? Thanks, that's helpful. Because he didn't really get it. But the religious leaders now, they're upset, and they say, hey, 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 hey. Only God. That's my interpretation. Hey, 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 hey. I don't know if they did that, but, they, but only... <laughs> Hey, 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 hold on. Only God can forgive sins. So what does he do? He says, okay. He asks them a question. He constantly asks them, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, don't answer because you're being live streamed. Don't answer because you're going to mess it up. Don't answer. On the surface, it seems like it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But the true depth of what he just said means what? It was much harder to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because of the cost of forgiving the sins. To tell a guy to get up and walk was nothing for the Lord Jesus Christ. But to actually pay for those sins? But on the surface, so let's stay on the surface with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Let's stay on the surface. It was, it was easier to say your sins are forgiven if we're going to stay on the surface. Yes? So now what does he say to the guy? Get up and walk. And he takes his mat and he goes. Which proved to the Pharisees and the religious teachers and the elders that he had authority to do what? forgive sins okay so we're clear we can't go any deeper than that on that but you understand that the 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 context of of that now 10 1 in matthew jesus called his 12 disciples this is important because we're going to close with this you're going to close with a little bit of understanding this authority so stay with me on this one jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease so now not only is he a man with authority he has the authority to give authority no even if any religious leader had any kind of authority they had no authority to give any authority so this guy now has the authority, and he has the authority to give it. And he, and he gives it to his disciples to do what? To do exactly what he was doing. To, to, to mirror his ministry. Matthew 10.1. Matthew 10.19. Ready? Here's the last one, and then we're going to go to the next heading. Real simple. And this is enough. This tells us enough about authority. It hits a couple of the major aspects of authority. Right? His teaching, his ability to forgive sin, his ability to transfer authority to others, and now what? The, the deepest, probably one of all. No one takes my life from me. 
I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Well, that's unheard of. Okay, no religious leader could say that. How do we know that's true? How many times in the gospel accounts do we see that they're trying to kill him and they can't? Why? Because no one takes my life from me. Who put Jesus to death? That's why it's silly when you see a, a, a movie like The Passion of the Christ and, 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 and the entertainment world comes out and talks about anti-Semitism and, and talks about how this is portrayed, these people who put Jesus to death. Who put Jesus to death? Who put God the Son to death? God the Father. Let's just be clear. The religious leaders rejected him. They're responsible for their rejection and their rebellion. The Roman soldiers scourged him, put a crown of thorns on his head, and nailed him to a cross. They're responsible for their rebellion. But who put Jesus on that cross? God the Father sent God the Son by the power of God the Holy Spirit that we might have eternal life. Let's be clear. No one takes my life, he says. I have authority to lay it down, which I'm about to do on Good Friday. And in three days, I'm going to take it up again. Okay? Is that enough on authority? Gives us a clear picture. They know it. They've lived it. They have witnessed his words and his works. Now, he doesn't answer. (laughs) He counter questions. Let's see what that one is all about. 23 and 7, Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. Was John's baptism from heaven or from men? Now, let me just make something clear. Jesus not answering their question. He's not avoiding it. Why? He's, 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 he's bringing them to the deepest understanding of what it is that they asked. They know what John came and testified to, and they rejected his his testimony. So by framing it and bringing it back to John the Baptist, the question has already been answered. So now he puts them, you heard the phrase, stuck on the horns of a dilemma? A modern phrase we would say, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Anybody ever get there except me? Am I alone? I'm not alone. I'm not alone. On the horns of a dilemma. What do we do? Was it from heaven or was it from men? So now, look what they do. Watch this. Don't miss this. They discussed it among themselves. You know what that's called? An unholy huddle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially today, right? You go watch a little football. You watch them huddle up. This is an unholy huddle. They got together. They huddle up, huddle up, and they talk. And they say, you know, if we say it's from heaven, he's going to ask, why didn't you believe him then? But if we say it's from men... All the people will stone us because they are persuaded John was a prophet. They're stuck on the horns of a dilemma. Jesus constantly does that. He gets to the deeper issue. You know the truth. You're afraid to testify to the truth. Why? Because of what it's going to do to you. You're going to lose your your chief seats. You're going to lose your position. You're going to lose the applause of man. Everything that you're living for is going to go away because you were supposed to be living for me. And he hammers them over and over again with a counter question. So now, what did they believe about John the Baptist? Let's look at it from Scripture. 
Back to Luke chapter 7. We preached it. Um, You can go online and find where this would be located. But let's just touch on it. All the people, even the tax collectors, those are really, really bad people, right? When they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. So they acknowledged that what was God's way? To send a forerunner to announce the Messiah was coming. The forerunner was John the Baptist, who would baptize, who would baptize with water until the one who would come and baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. So now listen to the last portion in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, two of the three categories, but you can lump them all together, rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Was the question already answered? Of course it was. They refused to be baptized by John. Why? What did the Jew, what, what did the Jew know of baptism? You say, well, this is a new concept in the New Testament. No, no. This kind of baptism certainly was, but no, they understood baptism. What was it? It was proselyte baptism. If you were outside of the commonwealth of Israel and you wanted to come into Israel, you had to be baptized. It rarely was administered by any of the chief priests and and, and the elders and, and, and the rulers. You would baptize yourself, but it was a ceremonial cleansing. It was a ritual purity thing. So they would cleanse themselves. So the the Jewish religious leaders understood proselyte baptism. So they said, we don't need that. We're already in. But now John ups the ante. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about some ceremonial cleanse. I'm not talking about that. That's not what God's talking about. So now we got to go to Acts. What is John really talking about? Don't miss this. 19.4. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of what? Why do they have no interest in that? They had nothing to repent of. What did they need to repent for? They were already in. We're children of Abraham. We're Abraham's seed. We're the gatekeepers to the temple. The temple is God's house. We're in. What do you mean a baptism of repentance? He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. No. What angered the religious leaders the most about John the baptism? John the Baptist. What angered them the most? Not so much what he was doing. Where he was doing it. He was doing it in Israel. In the Jordan. And they were outraged. They must have said to John, we don't have it in this. Who do you think you are? Repentance? You need to repent. We don't. We we live by the law. We love the law. We are God's people. So So because they had rejected John, therefore they had rejected Jesus. Okay? So he doesn't need to ask the question. So he just reframes it and brings him back to John. What was John all about? Was it from heaven or from men? they, They knew. They don't answer. And he says, neither will I. So this is, this is, brings down now the, ready for the curtain of condemnation? This is, this is bad. You know what this means? Listen, listen. It means that God himself can only take so much. You say, what, what, oh, what, what do you mean? God, his patience runs out. 
I thought God was all patient, all loving. Oh, He is. He is. But what happens to everyone today, in this moment, all over the world today, who die in their sins? It's too late. It is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. Even God Himself has a limit. The curtain of condemnation now comes down on the apostate Jewish religion in Israel. Now the curtain falls. Okay? Ready? Here it is. So they answered. Oh, don't miss this, please. We don't know where it was from, Jesus says. Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And he went silent. Listen to this. When the word who became flesh and dwelt among us goes silent, it speaks volumes. He never said a word before Herod. He didn't cast his pearl before swine. He was done with apostate Judaism, and it broke his heart. He wept coming into Jerusalem. But there's a limit. There's a limit to God's patience. It's either limited by your final breath or God's ultimate return. But the clock is ticking. And eventually time will run out. And you will have to stand before God. And you will have to answer this question. What did you do with my son? I, I couldn't put a quote together like this, so I'm going to quote someone again. This one's going to come from a great reformer. But in his commentary on this passage, it is so beautifully framed. He says what probably would have taken me five minutes. He does it in a simple statement. This is Calvin. Listen to these words. On, on this passage of Scripture, in his commentaries, John Calvin, Christ did not make a direct reply to them because they wickedly and shamelessly interrogated him about a matter which was well known. They knew who he was. They knew where he was from. He wasn't from Nazareth. And it wouldn't have mattered if he had come from Jerusalem. They knew he came from God. He was a prophet from God. And they wickedly and shamelessly interrogated him. So he doesn't answer. The curtain of condemnation. Now, we know that they knew. And we'll give you one more passage, then we'll make it real personal and we're done. We'll have our final song. Then we'll go to the fellowship hall and have some snacks. Ready? What did the religious leaders know? Let's take a look at one of the religious leaders. John 3, 2. He, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. You ever wonder, some of you, you, watch, you watch TV, you ever seen that TV channel, Nick at Night, right? With your little children, you ever watch Nick at Night? That's where it came from, Nick at Night. This is where it came from. So Nick at Night, Nick, no, you got that, you got that. Nick came at night. Why? Because Nick don't want to come in the day. Because the religious leaders are watching him. They know what, they, 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 they you, you don't go to Jesus. But see, this guy knew, but he was still fearful. He doesn't want to lose his chief seat. But he comes to Jesus. He says, you know, Rabbi, we know. We know that you, you are 
teacher who has come from God. We know why. Because no one, no one could do what you do. No one. If you weren't from God, you couldn't, you couldn't do this. So we know who you are. And, and, and Nicodemus gets saved. But these other guys, they have, they have no interest in him. Okay? So now, now we're going to make it real personal. Right? Pastor's going to go to meddling. We're going to look at the cultural context in which we live. A 2,000-year-old narrative. How does it apply to us today? And how does it apply to us right now in the church? Ready? We're going to go back to the beginning. Genesis 3.1. Where was authority? Now, you're going to have to remember three passages. Because I can't put them all on the same screen. You're going to have to remember them. Then we're going to tie them all together. Okay, ready? Passage number one. Genesis 3.1. Back in the garden. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Let me say that one more time. Did God really say? You know, what, you know what's happening. Stay with me. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. That's passage one. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. Passage two. The tempter came to him, the devil, same one in the garden, to Jesus in the wilderness. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Okay. We have to go back a chapter to the end of chapter 3 where Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan, not for repentance, but to fulfill the law. And the heavens open. God says what? This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, you ready now? Ready? We'll put it all together. What was the first temptation in the Bible? Satan comes to, did God say, what was Satan questioning the authority of the word of God. Did God really say, go to the New Testament? What is the first temptation in the New Testament? Satan questioning the word of God. If you are the son, you know I'm the son of God. The demons know that I'm the son of God and you shudder. You just heard the heavens open up and God my father say, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And you ask if I am the son of God. What is he doing? He is questioning the authority of of the word of God. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it is today. And it's the way it always is going to be. Until Jesus returns. That's the challenge in the church today. Questioning what? People who are professing believers. Questioning the authority of the word of God. It's not enough for them. That God really said. They begin to reinterpret. What God has said. You know, we're not really sure about this over here. We're not really sure we like this one over here anymore. We like all this here. We're not really sure what God meant when he said this. He meant what he said. And you have no business meddling with God's word. And that's the challenge today. Why? Because we live in a culture that is steeped in expressive individualism. As the great sociologists of the day tell us. Charles Taylor and Robert Bella and all of that group tell us that we are living in a culture that is overrun by expressive individualism. The family doesn't matter. The community doesn't matter. The group doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is me. And I am the ultimate authority. I decide what is right and what is wrong. I decide what is true and what is false. I decide what is good and what is evil. No one tells me. So the Bible is under attack, not just out in the world. In the church. Did God really say? Read it. So now, I got a little excited there. Listen, call me old-fashioned. I believe it's the Word of God. 
from beginning to end, and I have no right to try to reinterpret it, to fit some kind of narrative that I want to live in today, which is what the world is doing, which is what happened in the garden, which is what's happened from the beach. shouldn't surprise us. Expressive individualism reared its ugly head in the garden. So now, four things on authority, fourth and then the close. And I tell you, the close is going to rock your world. Ready? What is the authority of Jesus? Going to give you four categories. And then we're done. We're, we made it. We're there. We can go get our snacks after we sing. Eternal authority before the world began. Uh-oh, what is that? <laughs> what did Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You go on and on and on and on and on. I am eternally self-existent. The Father and I are one. So he has eternal authority before the world began. You dare question? Oh, my word. It just goes to show you the arrogance, the arrogance of intellectuals today, even in the church, to question the word of God. He had eternal authority before the world began. He's eternally self-existent. But we'll go and build Sustaining authority. Take a deep breath, everybody together. Ready? One, two, three, deep breath. Where'd you get that from? Ha! Right? Are we clear? He just sustained your last breath. Does he have sustaining authority? Of course he does. If he didn't sustain us, we'd all be gone. The world would be gone. Everything would vanish, and it would be back to the way it was before the beginning. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Period. And we don't get a vote. But we're still not done. Incarnate authority. What was that? He comes into this world. The world became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1, 14. Tabernacles among us and demonstrates to us what? He has authority over the entire cosmos. He controls the winds and the waves. He heals disease. Almost cures Palestine completely of disease. And raises the dead and walks out of a tomb alive. He has incarnate authority. We're still not done. Got to have one more. All authority in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's going to tie us perfectly into our clothes. Okay? Shall we get there? Now, I'm going to give you a quote. Remember, I tell you I quote, but, I'm, but this, is, this, is, this is the reason why. Spend a lot of time talking about Jesus to people, talking about Jesus to intellectuals, right? And, and we, we, we want to talk to all kinds of people. And we have a cultural context that is... Riding high on, on, on the, the waves of intellectualism. I'm going to give you a quote from a great intellect so that you can get an understanding of what really goes on in the minds of, of most of them, many of them. And he's going to speak really on behalf of, of the intellectual community that has rebelled and rejected the word of God. He's going to speak on behalf of them. His last name is Huxley. His father was Thomas. Thomas Huxley was what was known as the bulldog, the bulldog of Darwin. Darwin's theory of evolution, Thomas Huxley grabbed a hold of it like a bulldog. You You know why a bulldog, that's why we use the term bulldog. You know why a bulldog's nose is slanted upward and backward so that when he grabs onto something, he doesn't have to let go in order to breathe. That's Brian Fagley right there. Once he grabs onto something, he just, he's been hammering me for years. Years. Huxley, Thomas, is the patriarch of the family. 
He's a zoologist. And he has this tree, this, this, this tree of life that descends from him. And there are all these massive, world-renowned intellects. They're all humanists. They're all unbelieving pagans. Aldous Huxley, who writes over 50 books, but A Brave New World, which some of you are familiar with, listen to these words so that you can understand the cultural context in which we are living in today in a commu- this cultural context that is overrun with intellectualism and what they believe and, for the most part, why. And then it helps you enter in to the conversation with them when you know where they are. Aldous Huxley. I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning and consequently assumed that it had none. Just kind of make it up as you go along. And I was able, without any difficulty, to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. You know, he was widely acknowledged as one of the foremost intellectual authorities of his day. So, so listen to what he says. For myself, now he's going to speak on behalf of the intellectual community. As no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness, meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation... From a certain system of morality. Now you know where he's heading. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. Let that sink in. The supporters of this system, that's you, claim that it embodied the meaning, the Christian meaning of the world, a biblical worldview. There was one admirably simple method of confuting these people, and justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt. We would deny that the world had any meaning, whatever. That's what we have today. And that's why our hearts should break, to tell them about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, the truth of God. They have been sucked into this vortex of wicked lies and think that at some level their intellectualism is going to get them to wherever it is they think they are going. Huxley says it all. Not just for his time. He says it for back in the garden. Forget the sexual revolt. What was, what was, what was the point in the garden? They needed to throw off the authority of God. So they threw it off. His yoke was too heavy for them. So Adam and Eve revolted against the authority of God. And we've been revolting against it ever since. And this gets us into the hearts of those who are running away from God. So now, you're an evangelist. If you're his. So now here, here, here's, here's the close. I tell you, this is worth price of admission. Ready? And when the world asks you the same question they asked Jesus, 
by what authority do you speak such things to me? I get that asked a lot. By, by what authority do you speak such things to me? That's the authority. You see, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has given that authority to you and to I. To do what? To go and make disciples. You don't get a vote. You, you can't say, well, I, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't, I don't, I don't, no, stop. You want to know what we fear? I'm convinced we fear something even greater than rejection. I've been doing this a long time. I don't think the rejection is the key thing anymore. I don't. I think it's inspection. Why? You know who you are. And I know some of you real well, and I know you're really, really bad. I mean, I always like to look up at Dan in the booth, and I just feel better. I just feel better. No, I do. I know. I know. I know. It's a joke. He knows me, and many of you know me. Let me ask you this question. You, you, you want to just get right? Why, why does God, that this almighty, all-powerful, all-infinitely, why does God use messed up people to, to go out to expand the cause of his, why? Because that's all he has. He doesn't have anything else to use. You think Dr. Ron stood up here thinking that he was any better than anyone he was talking to? Of course not. Why? He's been walking with the Lord for 60 years. He knows his own heart. We all do. But yet, we're called into what? The ministry of reconciliation. We can't say, well, I, I, I don't qualify. I, I, I get it. I don't either. There's some weekends I don't, I shouldn't, I don't feel like I should come. I'm troubled. Some of the things I think and say and do, who am I to come and do this? And that's when I look to the cross. And I realize it's only because of his grace that he's poured out on each and every one of us and that we're called to do what he's called us to do. I couldn't care less about rejection anymore. I get that even when I'm not preaching the gospel. I get enough people rejecting me on that. Just to... I'm trying to get over inspection. Because I know what I am. So Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Why? Because I've called you to. I know who you are. It's not in your power and it's not in your strength. It's not in your wisdom. It's not in your intellect. It has nothing to do with you. I'm just asking you to go as a vessel. I'll take care of the rest. Will you go? Will you go? With outstretched arms and nail scarred hands, before we go, there's another word. Come. Come to Christ. All who are weary and heavy laden. Is anybody not weary? Anybody not heavy laden? Come to Christ. Put your doing down. Come to Christ by grace through faith. Come to Christ. And salvation is yours today. And then you get to be involved. 
in a work that will live on long after you're gone. A work that will echo over and over and over again in eternity. That's a life of meaning, a life of significance, and a life of purpose. We don't have to want there not to be meaning so we can live any way we want. We just simply need to submit and surrender to Christ who knows best and follow his lead wherever he leads. Will you come to Christ? Let's pray. Father, we know that there's someone here right now today in this sanctuary. We know there's some by way of the internet who perhaps heard the gospel for the first time. They know they're not right with you. They know they have lived apart from you. They know that they have lived in rebellion to your word, to your witness. Father, we'd ask right now that if anyone within the sound of my voice has never, ever prayed to receive you, it's real simple. The simplest prayer in all of the scriptures comes from the tax collector. And we'd ask you right now, every believer right now with my voice, we ask you to simply say these words in your heart. What the tax collector said that day in the temple, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And if you prayed that by grace through faith, salvation is yours today. The curtain of condemnation will not fall in your life. For now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come to Christ. Cry out to Christ. For he will in no wise cast you out. And for the rest of us, some who've been walking for 60 years, help us to keep walking by faith and not by sight. Trusting you even when we cannot trace you. Knowing that he who began a good work will one day bring it to completion. And we do look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, all God's people. Would you all stand with us?